so hi everyone. Yeah, welcome and uh, thank you for coming to this session because you know I know you had a choice. Um, but um, so I think what I'm really going to talk about is quite a, um, I suppose, is a relatively broad sort of thinking about how we can think about institutions in slightly different ways and some of the ways we might reimagine or we might find ways to to think differently and to imagine differently. Um, so I work at, yeah, as uh, I mentioned, you said, I, I work at TU Eindhoven. I also run something called the Imaginaries Lab, which is kind of a sort of cross between a studio and a research sort of uh, group where we do, mostly what we do is sort of publish or create and publish sort of methods for helping people imagine in different ways. Um, and it's, you know, it's a kind of side thing, but hopefully it will, it will get better as we go, as we go along. But um, so this quote, which is from J.G. Ballard. This is actually from 2006, so this is quite a long time ago. But I think in recent years, we've started to see this idea that reality is kind of, to some extent, a sort of mass of competing fictions being much more central in the way we think about news, the way we think about media, but also how we think about a lot of these kind of big issues in, in, in society and facing humanity, from climate change to pandemics to, to inequality and so on. This idea that there's these kind of competing stories about what reality is or what truth is or what's what's right or what's wrong um and obviously you know perhaps accentuated by by the rise of some aspects of of ai perhaps and i think it's an interesting question to to explore because you know anyone working in this space is 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 kind of to some extent creating these fictions alongside alongside dealing with them and when we saw during during the um the pandemic we saw a lot of this where there were these kind of competing narratives right and i i think part of it is is explained to some extent by this idea, this is from 1928, from uh, Thomas and Thomas, this idea that, who were, they were psychologists, this idea that to some extent, if people define situations as real, they're real in their consequences, whether or not the actual belief was kind of correct, whatever that means. You know, if you believe that COVID was caused by Bill Gates or George Soros or 5G or, and so on, then whether or not that was true, if you act in that way, or if whole societies act in that way, or if significant numbers of people act in that way, or act as if climate change isn't happening, or act as if, if I don't know, somehow magic AI, Elon Musk will fix everything for us, then that, that to some extent, there were consequences of that, even if that idea was not, was not necessarily correct. And I guess that's obvious, but it's, it's a sort of fundamental thing that we perhaps don't always think about when we're, when we're thinking about these things. So I look at this idea of imaginaries, which is a concept from, from sociology originally, which is sort of this question, like how do people imagine and make sense of things that are often they're very big or complex or invisible. So there might be things like, for example, the future or different futures that don't even exist yet. How do people imagine those things? Um, and what, does, what happens as a result? But it's also things like climate crisis or aspects of, you know, how does government work or how do politics work or, or um, you know, even how do technologies work? And how do we make sense of these ideas? So something like mental models that you might think of often in, 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 in design, but at a societal scale. And where do those stories come from? Where do those ideas come from? And what are the results? And as, as kind of creative people or researchers or designers, what can we do to, to interact with that? So some people have said that we're in a um, we're in a crisis of imagination at present, right? So this is from Amitav Ghosh. The idea that we, as as a species, as a as a humanity, can't think of new ways to do things differently. We're trapped in our own ways of thinking. And I'm not sure I quite agree with that, but I, I can see where he's coming from. But I I think I prefer this idea from Arundhati Roy. Again, as actually Michael Slaby mentioned earlier. Um, 
uh, the, this idea that another world is not only possible, actually, you know, she, in this case, is on, is on her way, and on a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. And I think this suggests more of an idea that actually we can create different ways of doing things. We can imagine differently if only we, we pay attention to voices and ideas that are not necessarily always heard. And it suggests, to some extent, they're already, those ideas are already here, but also that we could create new ones. We can create different worlds. So... <laughs> You know, obligatory this kind of slide. Um, you know, if we if you look at what sort of imaginaries, if you like, of AI are for some reason, as lots of people have pointed out, for some reason AI is blue. I don't know why, but in kind of popular consciousness, and it's mainly made up of kind of Android crash test dummy looking things and printed circuit board brains for some reason. Now we can laugh at this and say this is you know this is really a public imaginary of, of AI, but this does affect things. This affects what gets funded. This sort of imagery affects how the, how it's presented. It affects what priorities companies have, governments have, and so on. It does matter, right? These kind of imaginary. If we look at climate change, for a long time, polar bears were the, you know, images of polar bears on shrinking ice, um, ice flows were one of the main sort of images that we used to represent climate change. Increasingly now, it's going in an orange direction, whereas it wasn't previously. And that's due to wildfires, right? Or due to maps of, of heated, um, you know, of, of kind of temperature maps, um, which is interesting, right? And of course, a lot of AI image generators that are trained on these labeled images are... Um, you know, they, they have their own interpretations. This is what Midjourney gave me a couple of days ago. Still polar bears in relation to climate change, but now there are, there's a lot of smoke and fire and stuff in the background, although it's interesting that it's mostly coming from like oil refineries on fire or cities on fire rather than trees, which is, anyway, I don't know what the significance of that is. But one of the points is that these image generators, although they're presented as opening up our imagination, enabling us to think of new things, which possibly is, is true, they also rely very heavily on what was labelled, what was in the data sets, what was labelled in a particular way. So in a way, they, they kind of anchor us in this past, these past imaginaries and kind of reproduce them in new ways. Now, there are people who've tried to, do, tried to uh, sort of interrogate this, do some different things with it. There are some really great projects like Climate Visuals that tries to uh, get essentially better images of climate change. What is it actually like for people in everyday life to try to get journalists, media, news, and so on to, to, to use different sorts of images to represent it? And there's... Um, and there's a similar one, better images of AI, looking at looking at you know better images of AI essentially, which a lot of it is about showing the humans in the in the loop, as they put it. So people who are you know who are labelling data sets or people in in you know in kind of the behind the scenes of these things, like the labour, the human labour involved in these things. Um, and just, you know, before I get off this point, this is what government looks like, because we're talking about institutions today. This is what government looks like to Google Images. It's mostly American. Um, there's a lot of things, the pictures of like the US Capitol building, but labeled the White House, which is interesting, and various things. But it's very, you know, there's not many people and where they are. They're, they're, they're not everyday people. They're politicians themselves or their presidents or their people like that. Um, and I think that affects this way of thinking about or imagining these institutions affect what we think they can do and how we think we can interact with them and, and what, what we think they, you know, they represent in society. This is what Midjourney thinks government looks like, which you know is is interesting. I don't know. I think there's something there for to, to. I don't know. I don't know what what the what the lesson is there, but it's interesting. Anyway, so aside from those, so I'm coming at this as a as a designer, and I know uh, some of you are, many of you are, or people in kind of creative fields and, and media and so on. And I think in many ways, design is often about turning what people imagine into some form of reality, right? 
Now, what that means lots of different things. It could be prototypes, it could be concepts, it could be you know actually usable things. But I, I think one of the stages that we that we can do when we in you know sort of look at that from this point of view of these bigger societal imaginaries is often about getting imaginaries out of people's heads somehow and into this shared space together. How different people imagine the same thing perhaps. We learn a lot from effectively just, just getting people to talk about it, to show it, to represent it and then share with each other. You know, how do you imagine climate change or climate crisis compared to someone else? How do you visualize it? How, what, is, what is in your mind? What is, how do you think it affects you? And then we can do things differently as a result. And I've done a few projects over the over the years, sort of looking at this in different ways. This was a project at the Royal College of Art as part of a big European kind of energy project, where we essentially looked at what do people think energy looks like? You know, you're told to save energy, but what do you imagine energy to be like? And it wasn't, you know, it was it, it was essentially getting people to draw, getting members of the public, children, adults to draw what they imagined when they heard terms like energy. And from it, we kind of learned a lot about the, the metaphors that people use to explain these, these things and how it fits with their, their everyday life. Um, in a similar way, perhaps this was a more recent project with uh, my colleague Dara Byrne from, from Carnegie Mellon and, and a group of students um, looking at how people often use sort of spooky or almost supernatural ideas to explain technologies they don't understand, which could be things like AI, but it could also be stuff like sort of home automation or, or uh, recommender algorithms and things like that. What do people think is going on? And often they, they call up these ideas of sort of disembodied spirits or intelligences, as even if it's just like, you know, I think my wants me to do this or sort of thing. And I, I'm not saying this is necessarily very useful, but I think it's interesting to kind of interrogate these, these sort of ideas that, that people have. Um, most recently, some of my students at Eindhoven had a, this is a course called Researching the Future Every Day, where we're sort of trying to make these imaginaries of, fut of futures tangible. Students got a, uh, got a letter from 2038 from a fictional kind of mini ministry telling them that they were, they were going to be sent back to 2023. Um, 15 years in, in time to um, to effectively to influence to, to 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 make a difference to intervene in 2023 by showing people visions of different futures that could exist in 2038 if we don't do things differently. And so a lot of it was related to climate, but some of it was also related to kind of corporate takeovers of certain fields or, or these kinds of things that students created. And this is part of a bigger uh, project with partners in, in Norway and uh, Netherlands and the UK about kind of public imaginaries of, of sustainable futures. What do people think sustainability means and how do they actually envisage it and, and in terms of what it can do? Um, some of this also has been, some of this work has also been about, well, a lot of it has been about metaphors, in fact, right? And I'll, I'll come on to that more in a, in a minute. But the, we often use metaphors to explain things that we can't, that we can't see, right? We, we, we transform something that's invisible or complicated into something that we, can, that we can see or we can understand. And this project, uh, originally this was developed by Delaney Ricketts and, and, and myself around um, the mental landscapes. Uh, sort of kit, which is effectively model landscape elements, hills, trees, rivers, valleys, roads, and so on, that people can use together to build metaphorical landscapes of how they imagine something like particularly the, the future. Right. So this was a group uh, last month in um, Rotterdam who, who were building collectively a model of a kind of landscape of the future of a world in, in transition, where different transitions, that, you know, um, environmental and, and social were, were happening, with metaphors like hills that we have to climb over or things that stop us seeing things or different paths that might be available to, to, to humanity and how we make those choices. 
not saying it's necessarily the, um, the you know, it's, it, it offers certain things, it, it has limitations. And, but also, these kinds of activities can be used to reimagine institutions. And this is a project with the Center for Unusual Collaborations in, in Utrecht around, in this case, getting, um, so a bit like the futures wheels that you see out, um, out there, but in a sort of form of these kind of networks um, of reimagining what academia could be like and collaborations could be like by people constructing these kind of models of the consequences or possible consequences and consequences of, of different changes. Um, and so, yeah, metaphors are central to a lot of this, right? And I think they're central to our to, to the way we can reimagine institutions or ways that we, we might approach this. Because often the metaphors we use at present are quite harmful, right? So if you think of something like, I mean, a lot of the ways people talk about data being the new oil or even economies, as I think I think uh, Timothy will talk about uh, later, around like the idea of growth being sort of, you know, an, in something that has to be, you know, unquestioned, right? The idea that economies are things that grow. Um, or that have to grow is, you know, it's a metaphor that, that in some ways is, is harmful, right? But it can also be that metaphors can limit the way we think about things. If we think of institutions in particular ways, we can't think differently about what they could be. And so I think, you know, new metaphors, different ones, can enable us to generate ideas, they can enable us to reimagine in quite a low effort way, honestly, right? Like it's a relatively easy way into, into thinking differently. And so as so often with designers, we made a toolkit, you know, a kind of card deck. Um, this was new metaphors, which was developed with a lot of students and also designers from different, um, from different backgrounds over the last few years. And all it really does is it prompts you with, um, with things from nature, from the world around us that potentially could work as metaphors for other things. So in this case, you know, how could a ladder be a metaphor for democracy? It's not a right, it's not a right answer, but it might prompt us to think differently about what democracy might mean. And so if you want to try it out, if you go to newmetaphors.com, it provokes you with some random combinations and or juxtapositions and you can see what, um, what you might get from it. But I think with institutions, so what I did for this for this talk was I picked a few cards at, at, at random and thought, well, what could they inspire? Could they inspire a different type of institution or a different way of thinking about them? And this one, which is traces of previous messages, so it's you know it's a close-up photo of a, like a lamp post or a sort of telephone pole where lots of posters have been stapled to it over the years and torn off and gone you know the staples have gone rusted and so on. This made me think, what about an institution that's a kind of community memory in the same way as this 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 poll is to support people through changes to everyday life perhaps right we have certain institutions like museums that I know um, and, and galleries I know Sarah was going to talk about that have this kind of collective memory role but they could be used in very different ways right they present a certain view of the memory of a society not necessarily the views of of, of, of you know of everyone right and I wonder whether there are new types of institutions, particularly in, in times of massive change, where we do want to remember certain things, even if it's remembering ways of life that have had to go away, right? A way of perhaps managing grief to some extent, having to deal with huge changes to everyday life. Maybe we need some ways of like, like actually processing that rather than just pretending that it's, that it's all bad and it's all gone. Um, I think this is something about how institutions could function. Another card that I picked out was this one, what does a seagull see? I think that's a photo of, of Oslo there. Um, and the question, the prompt here is kind of like, who's doing the imagining in institutions? And there's the, this sort of prompted me to think, well, maybe we could have institutions that are set up to enable viewpoints or voices or the kind of rights of non-humans to be represented much more, much more clearly, much more strategically. 
how you do that because it's very difficult and I know you know there are lots of movements around different parts of the world around giving voices to nature and giving rights to you know to trees or to rivers in in different places but it but why do they represent national boundaries at present those are mostly done within countries but of course countries are you know a human construct right and so perhaps we need different types of institutions in if we did go down this route that don't that don't use that um Tree bark was an interesting one, or perhaps tree rings made me think about maybe in the same way as you know the bark is dead, but it kind of protects the new the new growth. Maybe we need some form of institutions that enable kind of caring for new institutions to emerge from these kind of dead infrastructures, which might just be reusing old buildings in in the same way as as, as this is done. But I think there's more to it than that, right? What does it mean to have institutions that that have this kind of role of of caring for new new things to emerge from from the dead or the dying, which might be very important in you know in in the years ahead. Um, so in my own context, you know, I'm in an academic kind of context, and I think I'm quite interested in how we might reimagine what academia is like or reimagine what education and research are like and how they actually have a much more practical uh, kind of application. And I, I think really, you know, there's obvious things. Universities need to take the world seriously that we're in, right? And I, I think universities could actually prefigure operating in new ways. Universities are mostly, apart from Trump University, mostly non-profit institutions that have thousands of motivated people. They have facilities, they have political capital, they have buildings, they have people who are really you know, interested in stuff. They could be living as if it was 2030. Universities could be operating as if they were already in a future to experiment with new ways of doing things, new models, without the pressure of shareholders, without the pressure of, of, of delivering certain things. I think we could do a lot with that. Um, and I'd love to see and you know, hopefully be involved in kind of developing some new models for combined education, research, uh, kind of practice studios that can act in the world and actually produce and share knowledge right now. Um, and there are some good models out there. And I think there's something here about this hybrid of, of practice and, um, you know, and kind of a new knowledge generation that could be part of this idea of imagination infrastructure that I know that uh, Cassie Robinson will talk about later today. Um, but I think there's, you know, there's possibilities there for, for different ways of doing things. So just finally then, to, to sum up, I think get imaginaries out of people's heads into some shared space together to do things differently as a result, right? I think that's a fundamental thing that we don't always do. We, we don't always question, do you, are we thinking about the same thing when we think about this concept? Are we, are we you know, can, as creative people, you've got so many methods for actually bringing those out, getting people to build things, to draw together, to make things together, to, to talk about it. We should always be looking at whose imaginaries are present and whose are not. You know, what is not, who is not represented or what is not represented? And, and that might be people, but it might also be, be as we saw, like, you know, non-humans or it might be the rights of other, other entities. And I think then we can reimagine possible futures together. And it might be with some sort of, you know, kind of, it might be inspired by some method of almost like random prompts like that. But I think we can probably do better than, than the metaphors, but it was just a quick way of getting some ideas. Um, but I think, and then finally, make them tangible, make them experiential, so that people can actually uh, effectively inhabit them. Right? We can we can try out or rehearse some of these different ways of living. And I, you know, that's often done in design. It's often done through kind of speculative design or design fiction. But it doesn't have to be. There's so many ways of storytelling, and and th you know, throughout human history, there are so many ways of making fictional or alternative ways of being or living tangible and and relatable to people. So I would, uh, yeah, and I will finish there. Thank you. Thank you all. <laughs>